bringing Gator Nation a different Gator great every episode. This is Jabari Gaffney, you're listening to the All For The Gators podcast. Hey, I'm Earl Everett. You're not a Gator, you're Gator bait. This is Bo Carroll. Hey, I'm Rita Anthony. This is Chris Rainey. This is Seatric Facing, a.k.a. C4. This is Jack Jackson. Go Gators, the real number one. Hey, man, this is Chad Jackson, and you're listening to the All For The Gators, man, here. Go Gators. Hey, this is Jeff Chandler, the all-time leading scorer in Florida football history. This is Tony George. Go Gators. Hey, guys, this is Jarvis Moss. Go Gators. Johnny Rutledge here, and you are listening to All For The Gators podcast. This is Ben Troop, and you're listening to the All for the Gators podcast. This is Chris Doring, and you're listening to the All for the Gators podcast. It is the All for the Gators podcast. I'm your host, John Spano, joined by my co-host, Mr. Andy Pankratz and Sid Kafka. Gentlemen, welcome back. Good to be back. Yes, thank you. Great to be back. A little bit of a break we took there. Uh, recharge our batteries. On this day of return here, it's a special day in Gator history, gentlemen. Or Do you know what today is? What significance of today is in Gator history? Are you testing me, Sid? I might be. <laughs> Andy, are you aware? He has no idea. No clue. He has no idea? No. no. I am going to go with the head ball coach's birthday, a spry 78. We are on the same page. Happy birthday, coach. Happy birthday, Mr. Steve Spurrier, the head ball coach. Happy birthday. <laughs> was that a surprise to you, Andy? It is. Andy was unaware of Coach Spurrier and the 420 affiliation? I am I am not surprised that you know. <laughs> That's not why I knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A yeah, wealth I, of useless information. It's fascinating to me. <laughs> so we don't usually do this. We don't talk about our next episodes, right? But uh, next week, we are going to record a watch-along, and we're going to have a special guest, our first return guest to the show. Gentlemen, are you excited about that? Oh, yeah. We didn't scare him away. He's willing to come back. He is. Mr. Riedel Anthony is going to join us, and we are going to watch the first round of the NFL draft. As it unfolds live, we're going to record. We're not going to be broadcasting live. Uh, And we're going to be talking about it, see where Richardson falls. We'll discuss it a little bit with Mr. Riedel Anthony, Mr. 18 touchdowns in one season. Uh, Still a Gator record and still the top performing show that we've ever done. Was a good episode. The most downloads, most listens, if you will. I'm very excited to have him back, but I do have one question about this draft episode. Okay. In past times, there's been instances where I was chastised for the Jets coming up. You're aware that they are participating in the draft, and there might be a comment or two by me when that happens. I just want to make sure that that's okay. That's okay. If you don't mind driving away listeners, Sid, then I don't mind. <laughs> All right. As long as we're on the same page. <laughs> Well, something that is relevant to this show is our king of DBU bracket, which we talked about, but we didn't do yet. You know, we went on break. I didn't feel like dealing with the backlash on social media while I was trying to relax and enjoy my family. So I held off on it, gentlemen. It has not been posted yet, but we will post it soon. And we will crown a king of DBU based on our fan vote on social media. And I know you guys are excited about that. Yeah, so you chipped us out of some extra time getting uh, getting some angry angry texts. That's right. Absolutely. We will. Oh, we will. Looking forward to it. So, Sid, I'm not sure of your culinary prowess, but I think it's safe to say Andy's probably the, the cook out of us three. Is that fair to say? I, I don't know. Andy hasn't cooked for me in a while. Are, are, are we confident in Andy's skills to label him the cook? Andy, how do you feel about that? I would say... Uh, fairly confident? Yeah, fairly confident. All right. Good. Well, today... Today's guest is going to give you a run for your money, sir. He is. Did he bring samples? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, who is this cooking gator legend that you reference, my friend here? <laughs> Man, I am excited about today's guest, gentlemen. The guy not only made a mark on football in Gainesville, he also throws down on the grill there as well. He's a certified pit master. Ooh. But before all that cooking up on those ribs... He was more about pancakes, that's right, on the football field. A three-year starter at offensive line for Hillsborough High in Tampa. He only gave up one sack his entire high school career. Wow. He earned first-team All-State his junior and senior years, was USA Today All-American selection his senior year, and by graduation, he was regarded as one of the top prep O-linemen in the nation. After visiting UF, he said no thanks to Georgia, Michigan, Notre Dame, UCLA. He came over to the Swamp. And in the orange and blue, he would anchor the offensive line in 46 games, serving up those pancakes left and right, protecting Palmer, Grossman, Leak, and putting smiles on all the Gator tailbacks' faces when a run to his side was called. 
First team All SEC, first team All American senior season, 2003. He would go on to lace them up for the Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, and Jags in the NFL. Gator Nation, I present to you 2000 SEC champion, left guard, big Shannon. Michael Snell. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Man, I, I need you to be my hype man. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, man. Shannon, so cool to have you on with us today. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me, man. I'm so excited to uh, to do this. Uh, you guys have been I've been listening to you for a little bit, and you guys have been gaining some steam, so I'm pretty excited about this. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Before we get started, you were out at Pro Day in Gainesville, right, a few weeks ago. What were some mm-hmm. of your takeaways from what you saw out there? Um, you know, it's it's funny because you got the guys that are kind of leaving, right? And, and, uh, and the good news about this is that there's just been, over versus the past years, there was an, an enormous amount of support. Um, not only from former from from the players that they had just played with these guys like Anthony Richardson and you know Gervin Dexter, but also you know the coaching staff. I, I think in attendance, most of the coaches were out there to watch those guys uh, come out there and perform and to do their thing. And even a guy such as like you know Brenton Cox, who was no longer with the team, uh, he was getting words of encouragement from the staff. So I think that's you know I, I, I'm just pleasantly surprised to see. Um, the connection among the players, among the, the coaches with each other, and, and, and the support, um, something that's drastically been missing in years past. The draft, of course, we know is right around the corner. Uh, we have a lot of talented Gators headed that way. You mentioned Richardson and Dexter. Uh, you got Torrance, Ventral Miller, and, and, and a bunch more. Who do you kind of feel has the best chance of making it in the pros um, you know, I know uh, with, with everything that's been said that Anthony's probably going to get drafted first uh, out of that group, but I think Cyrus, uh, Osiris Torrance is probably going to be the guy that's the mainstay. I, I can't say enough. I know I'm, I'm a little bit of an offensive lineman bias, but, you know, he put together one of the best seasons in uh, Gator offensive line history. I mean, I, I had the chance to be around the program and to see him work, operate, even break down some film. And this guy was just unbelievable. Him coming from uh, University of Louisiana, I wasn't really sure. Um, I know he, he, he graded out high um, from, from pro, pro football focus. But you never really know until he starts facing that SEC competition. And, you know, he just uh, – he picked up the scheme well. He came in. And the consensus <laughs> among offensive and defensive linemen was that he was the best guy when it came to when, – when the, when the ball was snapped. Everybody agreed in – in consensus that this guy was was fantastic. So um, I look forward to seeing how he does, but I think he's going to be a, a 10, 12-year guy in that league and maybe garner some all-pro all votes. I'd like to hear that insight from one off, great offensive lineman to another. So you were at the game, mm-hmm. 10 to 7, not exactly the greatest show on turf. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so is this the result of uh, some tremendous defense, or are we in for a long season on the offense here? Uh, I, you know, I, I really don't know. I, and I, one thing I do know is that there was, a, there was a big vanilla showing. There wasn't a lot that was shown um, in that game, as well as it shouldn't have been. A lot of times spring games, you're not going to be whipping out every single play. You're not going to. Um, put every single thing that you installed uh, onto film because other people can pick that up. So I, I think you saw a lot of vanilla. You saw um, just some crossing routes some stuff just to kind of get a little bit of excitement. Now, I, I do think the defenses came a long way uh, versus, you know, last year or even the previous year. There's some guys around there that are flying around the ball. And I always believe that uh, in, in the term uh, addition by subtraction, there's some guys that are not here anymore that um, created some, some great competition. I think that's great, and that's one thing that's been lacking is that sometimes seniority can cause you to lose focus, can cause you to um, become a little bit lackadaisical, especially when you think you're owed a position. I think what we saw, well, what at least I saw in the spring, was that guys were fighting every single day, and fighting meaning that good fighting, meaning they're fighting for their position. They want to be one of the um, one of the one of the guys on the field when it comes to when when the lights come on, and when you, when they line up to play Utah that first Thursday of the season. Um, there's no position right now that's being handed out. Every guy's out there working, and I think that's the most encouraging thing. So I don't think the spring game is very indicative of what the Gators are going to be. What that is going to be, I can't really be sure yet. I'm, I'm just as curious as everybody else, especially at the quarterback position. But I think um, the spring game wasn't very indicative of what 
um, what you're going to see. I think the defense is going to be drastically better, which you did see, but I do think the offense is going to be um, – they're going to be much different come come uh, come the fall. Sure hope you're right about that. Yeah, and it's great to hear about that fight in the competition again because a lot of the Gator greats we have on tell us stories about their fights for competition back from the scout team and, you know, just working their way up. And it just feels like that really hasn't been there in the past few years. So that's great to hear that you saw that again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see. I always love to watch. I mean, there's nothing better that, that forces someone to get better than competition, you know, than that hungry, that dog in your, that dog in your fight, that dog in your chest that's itching to get out. Um, so I think that's, I think that's great. I think competition's great to put the best players on the field. And I think that's what uh, coach Billy Napier is trying to do uh, moving forward. All right, Shannon, let's get to you now. Hillsboro High in Tampa only gave up that one sack in four years. Do you remember who that one guy was that beat you? Yeah, actually, I do. It was a guy. It was my senior year, which is the weird thing. It was, you know, I I had just got finished uh, talking to the newspaper, and I predicted that we were going to win seventy to nothing, and <laughs> we ended up winning the game fourteen to seven. Go figure. Oh. But the guy, it was just, it was kind of a blown assignment where I thought the center was going to help me, and he ended up going the other way. I didn't hear the call. And it was, so it was technically, it was all 100% my fault. The guy got a sack on me, and I'm telling you, he celebrated for like 15 minutes because I was, <laughs> I, yeah, give him credit. I mean, credit where credit's due, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was one that I wish I could have took back. It was that one that, that really just, uh, that sucked because I could have gone my entire high school career with no, uh, no sacks. Well, you still got All-State a couple years, still selected as All-American your senior year, and we know you turned down several major programs for UF, mm-hmm. but... Who was recruiting you the hardest? And did Spurrier actually recruit you himself? Uh, no, no it's, it's weird. Well, Michigan was recruiting me the hardest. It was, uh, okay. it, it was funny because I hadn't heard from Florida. I'd heard from every program across the country, and I had scholarship offers everywhere. But, you know, I'd always been a Gator growing up. Um, I had wa- watched the 96 Sugar Bowl, and I was always I was devastated when, when Florida State would even come close to beating the Gators or when they would beat the Gators. Um, but I hadn't heard from them, and I was just kind of dumbfounded. So, um, you know, my, when my finals came down, it originally was Michigan, Notre Dame, UCLA, and Georgia. And Florida kind of bounced into the picture late in the game. They had the wrong address. But I know Buddy Tevens, who's, who's the coach at Dartmouth, um, he was the recruiting coach. He was a running backs coach, but he was also a recruiting coordinator. He came to my house and he said, you know, Shannon, I sent you a letter every single week this year, which was like 52 weeks. He's like, I sent you a letter. I was like, well, he clearly was sending it to the wrong address. So that kind of cleared up any gray area right there. But once Florida was in the picture, it was, it was just a two, it was really a two man game between them and Michigan. And the only reason, one of the reasons I didn't choose Michigan was because um, I played in a state title game against Lakeland High School. And that week I was supposed to go to Michigan. Um, I had to cancel that visit. Obviously we were in the playoffs. I had to cancel that visit. And the guy that was recruiting me at Michigan's name was Stan Parrish. And Stan Parrish was like, well, you can't cancel the visit. You have to come this weekend. And I told him, I was like, I can't come. I'm literally going to be in the playoffs. But he was, all, he was all freaking out. And I said, Coach, I can push the visit back one week. It doesn't – like, I can just push it back one week. And he was, he was really adamant about that not happening. Wow. So I figured out the reason that he didn't want it to be pushed back was because the very next weekend they had a snowstorm in Ann Arbor. Oh. And the entire airport got closed down. And nobody could fly in. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm making my decision right now. I'm not planning any snow, so I'm going to Florida. <laughs> We've heard that from a lot of guys, too. Yes, the, the, the weatherman has helped many a Gator come, come our way. We like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Florida boy. So, I mean, and, and eventually Coach Spurrier got involved, and it was an easy decision. It wasn't uh, – it was I just – he was my idol. He was one of the mo- most um, polarizing coaches I watched growing up, him and Bobby Bowden, and him sitting in my living room, it was, it was, it was easy at that point. You talked about um, the competition. Uh, let's talk about the competition from when you got there. Some big guys there. Kenyatta Walker, Sedalis, Starks, mm-hmm. Pearson. So what are your memories of that and breaking in? Obviously, uh, you were coming in pretty highly touted, Mr. Uh, one Sack in high school. Uh, how, how did you fit in <laughs> in that when you first arrived? Well, I came, I came for spring, and after I'd signed, and um, I talked to Jimmy Ray Stevens, who was the offensive line coach at the time, and um, he didn't lie about anything. They were really down on numbers. They had moved Tommy Moody, who was a defensive lineman, across the offensive line, and Tommy was starting. Like, their numbers were just down in the trash. I don't know if it was just due to recruiting or just there was a lot of injuries that spring. And talking to Jimmy Ray, he said, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to come in here and play as a freshman. And you know every school saying the same, giving you the same line, giving you the same kick. And 
Uh, but Florida was very serious about it because, you know, going through spring, they didn't have – they had somewhat of a modified spring game because they didn't have enough offensive linemen for both sides, for both teams. So it just kind of upped the ante for me to get myself prepared uh, before I got to Florida, before I got there for that summer, uh, summer B, uh, to prepare myself, my mind, and my body to just really maybe play as a freshman. And luckily, myself and Max Starks, we were the only two to actually come in, but I think it was somewhat by necessity. Um, I thought I think we were good enough to play, but, you know, it's just, you know, we walked right into a backup role and it was just because Florida Florida was I mean, the numbers just it just played into our favor. So, I mean, it worked out well, but I tell you what, it was it was a very different for, it was very different going up against a guy like Alex Brown and Gerard Warren and those kind of guys. I mean, it's sure. the entire game change as a freshman. <laughs> people don't know that retro year is so important to try to get your body right, to try to get your mind right, to, to, you know, learn how you, you know, to live life without your parents, to, you know, go to your classes without being watched over your shoulder. And it was tough because we had football really, ultimately, no matter what anybody says, if they get a scholarship, football comes first. Like that's the reason that you're there. So having to be thrown into that situation, having to be uh, thrusted in there so early, it was, it was difficult to deal with, but it, it played out well. I had good people around me like Kenyatta, like like Moody, uh, Tommy Moody, to um, them being upperclassmen helped. Like they they took us under their wing, and it really made a difference, and it really helped us throughout that that first those first two years. So you mentioned your role as a backup lineman that year, but you do get in ten games. Can you take us through some of the things you learned through them ten games? Yeah, it was you know we played some teams early on. Like our schedule was not like it is nowadays. Like. You know, Florida last year went up against, you know, Utah to open the season. Right. Well, we didn't play Utah. We played Ball State to open the season. <laughs> not mm-hmm. the same. And <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> Matter of fact, it might have been the first time I, I heard of Ball State <laughs> at that point in time. But regardless of the fact is, you know, that opening game is so much going on. There's so much going on around game day. And your first time running out in the swamp, I know a lot of times people say it's so nostalgic. People say it's. It's such an adrenaline rush. It really is. It, it, I mean, it was just unbelievable. I had never played in front of that many fans. And it just, it was, it was the ultimate rush. I couldn't believe I had made it to that point. And it wasn't a great game for me. The guy from Ball State, I don't know if he was like an All-American or something, but he, he kicked my ass a few times. And I'm like, what is going on? I mean, this guy, he hit me with a spin move or something like that. And Coach Spurrier let me know about it in film session that, that next Monday. And I was like... <laughs> But, you know, throughout that entire season, it was like a it was it was almost like a dream because I got to visit stadiums that I would watch on TV. Like, you know, when we went to Neyland Stadium and beat uh, Tennessee at the last second, uh, when we went to Florida State. I mean, these were some of the places that I was a year previous I was watching on TV. Sure. So, um, you know, it was I, I only I played like 130, 140 plays that season, but I got to play a good majority of the SEC championship game. Because, you know, Tommy Moody went down. He was a starting left guard at that point. And, you know, be, at the beginning of the season, I realized how much I had changed to that SEC championship game. How much I had gotten better through practices, through, you know, time in the film room, just even in the weight room. Um, because your body takes a heck of a pounding throughout the season. But I, do, I did realize, like, how much more conditioned and how apt I was, to, you know, to play a football game in the SEC towards the end of the season and that was really cool to see because I every week you just it was kind of like Groundhog's Day where you figure it was just feeling the same it was feeling the same but then you get into the game it's like man this is what next next season's going to be like so it was it was pretty exciting um that first year was it was it was it was kind of like a redshirt year but I got some on the job training which was I, I I just I totally loved and I think that helped my development so that was a big year for you um you know Gators went 10 and 3 you talked about the SEC championship game which Happened to be Spurrier's last of his six. So right. how was that game for you? Um, how was just, I guess you talked a little bit already about how that season was, but how was that particular game for you to get in that championship? You know, it was, it was, it was unexpected. You know, I'd play spottingly throughout the season, but when I got to the SEC, when we get to the SEC championship game, we played a decent Auburn team. Uh, we knew we were better than them. You know, the West wasn't what the West is now. Definitely. Um, so it, naturally, we should have won. I didn't expect to get the playing time that I did. But when Tommy got hurt, he got hurt in the first halves. And, and, and Jimmy Ray said, all right, Snell, you're in, go. And it wasn't like time to think about it. Like whenever that kind of stuff happens, whenever you're, you know, you're in a position where you didn't think something was going to happen and it does, it's almost like instinct goes into your mind. You just, you just get out there and you get it done. And that was, that was the fun part because when I went in the first half, you know, Tommy actually came back in like maybe 10 or 12 plays later. 
But then he went out again in the second half, and I played the entire second half. And, you know, after the game, Jimmy Ray came up to me and said he was proud of me, and he said, you know, I can't wait to coach you next season because this is just the beginning. So I was just, it was, it, that was a cool moment because he had been pretty hard on myself and Max all season. Freshman just, we didn't get any love, and he, <laughs> he didn't show us any love. And I get it, going through the school of hard knocks, but it was, it was, like I said, it was just a great learning experience getting in that game, actually playing well, and, and getting prepared for that, that following season. How much are you running on adrenaline? It's all when adrenaline. Getting, it's, when you get called in that game. It's all adrenaline because, I mean, literally, you don't have time to warm up. You don't have time. Like, you're standing on the sidelines, and, and when you're in a backup role, you're standing on the sidelines. A lot of times you won't get in. Um, you know, as, as a guy, you mean the guy, the starter in front of you is going to play the entire game. Um, but – Injuries happen, and you never really expect them, and they ne- you never really know when they're going to happen. So when that happened, it literally was a play, and they, we were in the middle of a drive. And he said, go. And it was just like <laughs> there's no time to stretch your hamstrings. There's no time to get on the sideline and pad up with a couple of guys. It's, it's, it's go time. So it's, it's an adrenaline rush, and, you know, it's just you got it. And that's what they – you know, that's why they give you the scholarship. That's why they want you to come to a major university so you can go out there and perform. That's why you're there, right? That's right. You got the ring still? You wear it often? Oh, I got the ring. I, I you know, I, I got it in, in my original case. It's next to my SEC championship watch, next to my SEC championship jersey. Yeah. It's, more, it's more for show. You know, it's, it's, it's a show piece because um, I don't know. I just don't feel the need to wear it. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that it, it's actually my only championship. Like, I didn't. Like I won some district titles and I won some you know conference championships in high school, but it really was my only um, real championship ring. So I kind of cherish it a little bit more than you know if if there was another one down the line or something like that. So I I, I take good care of it. Um, I make sure I preserve it. Nothing happens to it, and it, it sits right there in this case, so I can admire it from time to time. Yeah, you don't take it for granted. No, I don't. Yeah. So your only one was Spurrier's sixth one, right? His last. So it's Correct. it's that much more special, right? That's right. It was his last one, and you know he he has a restaurant here in Gainesville. I see him from time to time, and you know one of the one of the most complimentary things he could say about not only about myself but about that whole team. He's like that was my best team. And he's even talking about his 1996 national championship team. He said the 2001, uh, you know, that 2000, 2001, those guys that were able to stay through, um, those were some of his best teams. And he's sad and he's kind of disappointed. One of the reasons why um, his decision to leave was accelerated was because those teams, he didn't think it was going to get any better than that. Mm. And that's unfortunate. So that season saw Palmer at quarterback and a new kid named Grossman. Mm-hmm. Did you did you guys have a sense of what was to come with Rex? N- no, I, <laughs> I really wish I could tell you everybody knew Rex was going to light it up, um, but it was all Jesse to start the season. Um, it was Jesse the the year before. Um, Rex was just a kid out of Bloomington. Um, you know, he wasn't really highly recruited. Um, he didn't have you know the special tools like some of the guys that we've seen in the past. Rex was just a guy. And, you know, the thing about Rex, one thing, I, if I could say anything about him is that he was ultra competitive. Like, I don't care what it was. We used to have Mario Kart, uh, Mario Kart wars <laughs> in college, and he would not want to lose. Like, he'd get upset. Like, there'd be fights. And he was just an ultra competitive dude. And, you know, Jesse was a good quarterback. Jesse was, you know, he was drafted by the New York Giants. Jesse was a good quarterback. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there was something about Rex just – Got some swagger. Oh, yeah. He did. He was never really afraid of the moment. Like if he threw something, he was like, "I'm just going to throw it and see what happens." But he was always high t- risk, high risk, high reward with him. Yeah, I mean that's yep. what he was. And a lot of times in Spurrier's system, it worked out. It just worked out because of the fact of he had a cannon. Um, he knew what to do with the ball. And Coach Spurrier kind of really did a good job directing Rex. But um, just nobody could have guessed. Nobody would have. If you would have told me at the beginning of, of 2000 that Rex Grossman would have been our the quarterback that was going to finish up the season, we were going to win the SEC uh, championship. I would have told you you were a liar <laughs> uh, because it just he just kind of came out of nowhere. When he got his opportunity, he made the most of it. And, boy, did he, did he take off. Absolutely. So let's talk about 2001 then. You become the starter at left guard as a sophomore, right? Right. Grossman takes the helm for the first full season. No shortage of receivers there. Gaffney, Rache Caldwell, Taylor Jacobs. Mm-hmm. How confident were you guys feeling heading into that season, preseason ranked number one? It was it was unbelievable. I remember we played 
it, it was I, I knew we had a really good team. There was a lot of guys that came back. You know, um, guy Andre uh, Andre Davis who had returned from line, but he was hurt the year before oh, came yeah. back. You know, we had you know Alex Brown. You know, trying to coming back off of a year that was kind of down for him. You know, we we lost uh, Gerard Warren, we lost Kenyatta Walker. So, but beyond those guys, we were stacked. I mean, Spurrier had recruited in the position, recruited well in the positions that he was losing, and those guys were now sophomores and now juniors. And you know, we were looking at that team from top to bottom, and we always have goals at the end of the season, or have goals that we have going throughout the season. One is obviously win. Uh, it was win 10 games and then it was, you know, make it to a bowl game or make it to the SEC title game, then make it to a bowl game and make it to the national championship. Well, it was the first time that I'd seen since I had played at University of Florida. I know Ron Zook, it came a couple years after, but it was the first and only time I'd seen the national championship goal up there. And I think all the coaches, I think the coaching staff, I think Gator Nation, I think everybody realized how special that team was, how the, just the potential wise. Um it, it just was – it was set up for success. It, it had playmakers. It had – no. and offensively, I don't think we – I don't think there was – I, I don't think there was a better team across the country. Um, it's just – it was a really special team, and it, had, it just had a bunch of guys that could play football. And that was the exciting part. Well, you guys finished the year number three, only dropping close ones to Auburn and Tennessee. And, and I agree with, with Spurrier. Obviously, his opinion matters a lot more than mine. But I really feel that was one of the most dominant Gator teams ever. How frustrating was it to know how talented a team you were, but but to come up short that year? Yeah, it was kind of a it was just kind of a letdown. I mean, we made it to the Orange Bowl, and you know we we beat uh, Maryland. We beat them down pretty good, and it just it was still a letdown. It just we shouldn't have been there. We should have been out in um, Arizona playing Miami for the national title game because that's exactly who we wanted. You know, it's, I hate to say we were overlooking that Tennessee game. Uh, but some some of us might have been. Uh-huh. Um, we had already beaten LSU, who had went on to win the SEC t- uh, title that year, so that wasn't going to be a big surprise. So we were kind of looking forward to that to that Rose Bowl matchup against Miami because that's what everybody wanted to see. Um, and 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 the conversation maybe a, a little bit different if we go out there we beat that Miami team because we we damn sure could have we had the we had the talent. Mm-hmm. And then is that Miami team in the conversation of being one of the best teams ever? I don't know. It may be, it may be that 2001 Florida Gator team. So there was a lot of stuff that, you know, that, that weighs on your mind after that happened, or even down the road as of now, of if something would have changed, if, you know, that game originally gets played, if, you know, Travis Stevens doesn't run for 220 yards, if, you know, Ernest Graham doesn't get hurt. Like, there's so many things that you think about of, you know, that season and, you know, even doing what we did and going having a, an eleven and two record and really being finishing ranked number three, um, how much more special it could have been? It, it should have been a, a at, at the very least um, a number two ranking and and, and more likely a, uh, a national cha- another national championship for Coach Spurrier. Definitely, lots of sliding door moments there where things could have gone differently. I'm sure uh, Maryland probably wished they could have met, matched up with somebody else after that stomping you guys laid on them there, fifty six twenty three. Um, you mentioned you had the one, only the one championship. Um, this would end up being your only bowl victory. How do you remember that experience? Uh, must have been more fun being in a romp like that, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was, uh, and you never know what's to come. I mean, if this if this was my senior year, I probably would have cherished it a little bit more. But you know, we had just won the SEC title the previous year. Um, that bowl, that bowl victory, it felt like it should have happened. It's, it's. There was no surprises. There were surprises during the season. We were surprised, you know, three weeks earlier against Tennessee. And, you know, we were trying to get that bad taste out of our mouths. And, um, you know, it just – it didn't – And make a statement, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were trying to make a statement. I mean, and even for any anybody else, I think, you know, I just – it just – everybody, just from everybody in Gator Nation, just – it felt like the uh, – it just felt like a, the leftover bowl. It's like the Gators shouldn't have been there. And I keep saying that to this day. And, it, you know, we had the opportunity to change that narrative. But it just, you know, Tennessee was a better team that day. And um, But it was fun. I mean, being on South Beach, it was actually my first time in Miami. Being on South Beach, we got to see, you know, guys like Jermaine Dupree and, and Little Bow Wow at the time. Those guys were performing. And, you know, it was, it was everything glitz and glamour that you think Miami is. You think Miami Vice? That's what it was. There were so many cool cars and Ferraris and stuff rolling around, and definitely, I was like, man, I was like, this is this. I I love Miami. This is great. And so, I mean, if there was any consolation to that, I mean, being down in South Beach or in January where the weather was warm and it was, you know, we were still playing football. That was that was that was okay enough. 
Well, it was a great year for you personally. You know, mm-hmm. your quarterback throws for almost four thousand yards, thirty-four touchdowns. Yeah, I will say one of the worst Heisman snubs in history. Absolutely, but we'll leave that for a, an, another day. <laughs> Gillespie and Graham, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, those guys go for a th- over a thousand, and and you can't do that without solid left side protection. So, you feel like you really came into your own that year. Yeah, I was excited. Um, I was super excited because you know there was still a nucleus of the team. Like it was almost like we could run it back again. Um, you know, just seeing what we did and every. I got to say, I'd never been in an offense or played for a team that you were just expecting to score, expecting to blow a team out. And when you lost, I was crying because it was like, this isn't supposed to happen. This is like, and I know this is college and any given Saturday, things didn't happen. But like, this was like fun. Like the 2001 season was probably the most fun I had playing football since high school or even moving past that. It, it was just Every week was a blast. We were just basically going around. We were like the Beatles. We were going around seeing seeing cities, beating the pants off of people, then leaving. You know, it was just it was super super like enjoyable. You know, um, you know, you had a quarterback that was doing well. You had offensive linemen, uh, offensive line mates that were playing well. You know, papers were talking you guys up. Whether even even after losses, like people were predicting us to win. So it was um, even for myself personally. I started every game that year, and it was. Um, I, I was pretty much free from injury and it was just, it was great. It was, it was fun. It was, you know, I thought college football was going to, that's exactly what I thought college football was going to be like every year was going to be a, a really high profile bowl game or an SEC title game. You're going to get to the end of the season. You're going to be playing under the lights against big teams for, for big stakes. And that's just, that's just what that year brought for me. So your junior year in 2002, Spurrier's out, Zook is in, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel that affected the team? Mm-hmm. What's your perspective, the program? So that that was kind of the turning point for a lot of us. Um, I, I was never really before I say before I talk about Ron Zick. I mean, first of all, I think the morale of the team was on a on a downslope, right? Because nobody realized that that Coach Spurrier was leaving. Like he, we basically, I was sitting in my house, my home in Tampa, and this was after the Orange Bowl, and I just remember popping on ESPN News and. Um, on the ticker, they were saying uh, Steve Spurrier's considering leaving the University of Florida. And that was that started at like nine o'clock in the morning. By 11 o'clock, he had resigned. Yep. He had he had he had given his notice to Jeremy Foley. And then at that point, I hopped on the <laughs> I hopped in my car, drove uh, north uh, two hours to uh, the University of Florida on 75. And we all were sitting in the uh, training room and we're all just sitting around. Coach Spurrier comes walking in in a suit and. Just basically says, oh, don't worry, you guys will be all right. And, you know, that's it. That's that's all. He went into his presser and, you know, resigned from the University of Florida. So that just the, tra- the trajectory of where we ended the season to where that that point in time happened, it was difficult uh, because we were all taken by surprise. I'm sure there were some people inside the program that knew, maybe even some of the players that, you know, declared early or that were leaving. They, they kind of figured that he might have been leaving. But, you know, a lot of us had signed on to play with him the play for the University of Florida, play under Steve Spurrier for the four years or five years that we were going to be there, we were kind of blindsided by it. And, and for a guy like me, it, you know, it was right in the middle. It was right in the middle of me being a sophomore and a junior where, you know, things really start to start to count if you're, if you're thinking about going to the league. Yeah, unfortunately, in 2002, the Gators do struggle a little bit under Zook. Um, but again, Rex has a huge year, 3,400 yards, 22 touchdowns. Graham and Carthon go for over 1,600 that year, you earned second team All SEC and, and just a ton of other accolades. Lineman of the week, most physical lineman. You kind of take pride in those accolades at the time, and maybe even more now when you look back. Yeah, you do. Um, you, you don't realize it until it's just like, oh, it's just another honor. And you're like, hey, you know, I, I gotten used to them. I come out of high school, I had quite a few. Um, just you know, by having great coaches and, and people putting me in great situations. Um, those, those accolades, those honors just came, they came, they came. And that was nice because it was like, they just told me to do a job. I did it to the best of my abilities. And, and the people that wrote about it seemed to think is, think, think the same thing. So, you know, for, you know, after that season, I, I kind of pride that second team, all SEC. I really think that's at the top of my list. Cause we, we basically inserted ourselves into a new offense. Like every freshman that came in, everybody that came in had to learn a, a new offense under Ed Zombrecker. And it was a difficult offense. It wasn't what we had, you know, learned under Coach Spurrier. It was more of a running offense, more of a running gun kind of 
not not a spread offense that or the run, the running the fun and gun what they used to call Spurriers. It was a little bit different. Um, but we those that stayed, those guys that played a little bit, the, those guys that like myself and Max and um, Mike DeGory, who I thought was a fantastic player coming in, we did the best we could under a new system. And, you know, we that team should have been better. I mean, had Zook had a couple more years with that team um, or had a, had the years that Spurrier had with that team, I think he would have had a better record. Uh, but, you know, he stepped into the shoes of a rock star and did what he could. I mean, he basically inherited a – um, uh, our transition class, basically a transition team. And um, I think eight and five was probably a, a really good record given what he, uh, what, what he was given at the time. Big shoes to fill. What, what was your relationship with, with Zook? <laughs> it was, it was tumultuous. How's that? It was, you know, he just, you know, okay. I was never really a fan. Um, I give him credit for um, taking a job that nobody else wanted. Um, it was going to be hard to find somebody to come to the University of Florida and coach after what Coach Burger had done over the past, you know, uh, pretty much decade. Um, it, it, it's almost impossible. I know there was, you know, talks between various coaches across high profile coaches to come in. And I'm sure and I know Jeremy Foley had talked to him, but they decided not to just because they knew ultimately that it was going to be a rabid fan base that was going to expect excellence like like Spurrier had done uh the previous decade and that was just that was unfair that was it, it was a tough sh- it was a it was a tough act to follow um so I give him credit for that but with that being said is that I do not think Ron Zook was ready to be a coach in the SEC especially for the Florida Gators I don't think he was ready to to, to follow Steve Spurrier I there was a lot of situations there was a lot of things there was you know things even for him that um, he probably should have started somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, when, it's one thing to be in charge as a coordinator, to be in charge of the offense or to be in charge of the defense. But when you're in charge of the whole team, um, you have to have great processes in place. You have to be organized. You have to be able to say the right things uh, when, the, when, the, when the cameras come on you. And I think Ron sometimes struggled with that. I think he struggled with um, having the entire team on his side because – you know, sometimes it was was very easy to see that he wasn't um, he was not Coach Burrier, which is you know not fair of us to try to judge him in the same light. But it was you know just coaching one on one. When you get a bunch of guys that come to a university to play for a, a legend, you know that you would hope that the athletic director pulled in a guy that was able to kind of somewhat hold a candle to him and be able to produce some wins. And I don't think I think Ron Zook just sometimes he, he came across as a little clueless, and that just that sucked for us because it was like. We all had to put on a good front, but sometimes it, w- it was a very tumultuous. Sometimes even behind the scenes, it was very, uh, it was very, uh, very rough. Your senior year, then in two thousand three, saw yet another eight and five season, mm-hmm. but this one with freshman future championship quarterback Chris Leak taking over the reins under center. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have three backs there: um, Carthon, Win, Faison, all rush for over five hundred yards, and clearly you're a big part of that. Named right. first team All SEC, first team All American by the right. Sporting News. Um, and all of your football career achievements, where does that one rank? That's pretty darn prestigious. Yeah, I mean, first team All American. I mean, you can't. I mean, I got myself a brick out there on uh, <laughs> right there on Stadium Road on Gill Emery. Nice. Yeah, that, that brick is uh, that's always going to be there. And you know, uh, shout out to Urban Meyer for bringing that in. But um, yeah, that's you know, it was a great season. I, I there's one thing about I, I realized like my first year was a learning system under Spurrier when I was a freshman. Uh, things really started to pop when I became when I was a sophomore. I was like, man, this is going to get really easy. This is this is I know the system. Well, same thing happens when a new coach comes in. I was learning my first year. Um, I knew what college football was like, but I still had to learn a brand new system. Well, once I got the system under my belt, you know, coaches were able to put me in the right position. Things were able to happen. And, you know, needless to say, I played really well that season. So and it was really about consistency. Sometimes it's not about being better than the next guy or domination. It's just about being consistently good on every play or trying to be consistently good every game. And the consistency throughout the entire season for myself, I don't think I graded under 80%, which was, you know, which is great for an offensive lineman playing 60, 69 plays a game. So I was, you know, it was, it was a prestigious honor. I couldn't, I, I remember the day it came out and, you know, uh, Zook had called me into his office and he said, did you see the paper? I said, no. 
he's like, congratulations, you were laying first team All-American. I was like, wow, that's like, <laughs> that was so, it was so cool. Cause there's only so, I mean, there's only so many players in history at the University of Florida that have been named first team All-American. You got four, five years or four years to do it. And for me to do it that year, it was just, it was so great. It was such an honor and just um, I, something I can always be proud of. Another honor from a, from a Gator that I, I want to get your perspective on. And we usually keep things light on this podcast, but mm-hmm. speaking of Rand Carthon, he was hired as GM of the Titans back in January. He oh, became yeah. the NFL's eighth black GM. And there's a yeah. lot of talk about the lack of diversity among the NFL head coaches and what they're doing to Eric Bieniemy is kind of ridiculous. But yeah. to have such an increase in diversity at like the executive level seems promising. So as a black player that played in the NFL, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's it's been kind of a uh, – I hate to say it, but it's for such a long time, my dad played in the NFL. He was a first-round draft pick in 1980. And there wasn't a lot of black owners around. And it was almost a, a good old boy network, which kind of, you know, it just the ownership, that's just what it was. I don't think people took really a whole lot of notice of it until, you know, here maybe over the last 15 years. And I think it's been coming down the pike because, you know, there are so many qualified African-Americans uh, for positions other than just being a coach, a head coach or a position coach. Uh, you talk about Rand. Rand has is, Rand is gone through the gauntlet. When Rand got out of the NFL in 2004, 2005, um, he was with the Indianapolis Colts for a couple of seasons, but Rand basically picked up a pen and learned from every person that he could. He learned, and it just it showed his, his perseverance. Rand was one of those guys that would – you know, he was a student of the game. And his dad, Maurice Carthon, he just – he oh, told yeah. him, be a student of the game. Be a student – learn what you can from everybody. And, uh, you know, I talked to Rand probably about 18 months ago. He was – when he was with the 49ers, he was the director of pro personnel. And um, just – he's had a great mind for the business. And I, I know he had interviewed for the GM position at one point, and he didn't think he was going to get it. I think he had, he had interviewed for another one. But when he came up for the Titans one and he actually got it, I actually was – I applauded this. I'm, I'm so happy that we're now having um, a, a, a influx, a, 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 a change in that um, there are African-Americans all across this country that are smart, that are able to do the job and that are doing the job, which is just a testament of uh, times are changing. And as these times are changing, it's just it's getting better for minorities. It's getting better for, you know, their their you know, their pay is getting better. They're positions are getting better and it's just you know and I'm proud of Rand um I'm so proud of him he's he stepped into some really really choppy waters because I think the uh him being black and him being um in the GM position all eyes are going to be on him just like it, uh, as he figured it would uh but I think it's um I think it's a fantastic situation I think it's fantastic for him because there's going to be another Rand Carthon out there there's going to be another minority guy that wants to step into a position of power and you know Rand's uh basically created somewhat of a blueprint. Absolutely. Getting back to your Gator career now, is there like a special play that may stand out? Maybe you opened up a huge hole for a big run or pancake some guy who is particularly getting under your skin with some trash talk? Uh, and anything you might be able to drop with for us here? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So this, I had, I had, a, I had, now this goes back to the Tennessee game in 2002. This was in, up in Knoxville. This is, it was a rainy game. It was awful. There was a play during the week, right, that we were going to do a, a throwback. It was going to be a throwback screen. The screen was going to go to me. So basically the offensive lineman, basically they're going to throw it behind the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Tennessee had this, this thing where John Chavis, uh, he was a really, his, his defense over pursued. They ran to the ball. These guys were unbelievable. They, he had, tw- he had, Noses all over the ball, every single, uh, every single defensive snap. So Zook decided to say, well, he's like, Snell, can you catch the ball? I was like, of course I can catch the ball. What are we trying to do here? He's like, it's going to be a throwback screen to you. I'm like, excuse me? I'm, like, I'm thinking he's joking. I'm like, like, we're in Tennessee week. I was like, okay, like, I figure you're joking. You're, you're, you're pulling my leg. Like, this ain't real. Well, I mean, they built this play, and I was the tackle on the play. So the, the play was for me to – Kind of let my guy go. Rex was going to roll to the right, roll to the right side of the field, had the defense chase, and he was going to throw it back. I mean, even the backs were going to go. Nobody would, would stay with me on that side of the field if it was, you know, if there's no backs or receivers over there. Everybody's going to chase. Rex was going to throw it back to me, and it was going to be a touchdown. I mean, literally, like we practiced this in practice. Like I caught the ball. 
Actually, I dropped it like two or three times. But when I caught the ball, <laughs> when I caught the ball, I would, you know, I I just race up the sideline. It really, really, nobody would be within twenty or thirty yards of me. So if I couldn't get to the end zone, I probably shouldn't be on the football field anyway. So we get to the game. We're there. It's raining, and he calls his play. As a matter of fact, it's a turnover. I think they fumbled the ball. It's a turnover. Jook's like, okay, throwback screen. And I'm like, oh, here it is. Here's here's my my moment in glory, right? I'm thinking about all I need to do is just catch this ball. And Lord bless America, David Jorgensen, who was our right guard, just feels like giving up, uh, just letting this guy run through on this one play. The, the one time, the very one time that, like, we were, I mean, it's a great game. We're all blocking well. The one time, the one play that he decides to just let his guy run by him was the screen, and I, the ball never got to me. Uh, Ends up being a penalty because it was a legal forward pass or – Something it was just it was it was my moment of it would have been my moment to shine. Fleeting moment. Yeah. <laughs> and he ruined it for you. <laughs> uh, if you go if you go back and watch it, I mean you literally can see you'll see me jump it looked like it was a fumble. You'll see me jump on top of the ball. Like there was nobody within like fifteen or twenty yards. And if Rex at least gets me the ball, it's 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 at least a twenty or thirty yard game. Oh man. That would have been great. <laughs> it would have been great for me, too. Well, after you graduate, you do go on to the NFL, sign with the Broncos, spend some time with the Vikings and Cowboys and Jaguars as well. Any memories of kind of a, maybe a favorite coach or teammate during your time in the pros? Yeah, Bill Parcells. Nice. Um, Excellent. <laughs> yeah, Bill Parcells. And, and my favorite player, and I got to watch him when I was a kid, and it was Larry Allen. Larry Allen was he was probably one of the biggest human beings <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. He looked like a, he looked oh, like a he looked like a coke. He looked like a coke uh, coke machine with arms. Like this guy was massive. He and was. I he was I, huge. Yeah, I remember when I came in, and it was like the first day I came in or something. I saw Larry. He was in the he was in the uh, weight room, and Larry had like six plates on each side with the chains, and he and he did two reps, and nobody was behind him. I'm like, this is unreal. This is this guy real? And Larry would make <laughs> Larry would make me go get him breakfast because I was backing up Larry. Larry would make me go get him breakfast every morning. And I would have to have a bag of Funyuns on his locker, <laughs> like the big bag, not the small bag, the big bag of Funyuns. He would call me. He called me Rookie Snell. He's like, Rookie Snell, you need to make sure I have a bag of Funyuns on my locker every morning. And I'm like, why are you picking? There's, there's like three or four other rookie linemen. He was like, I like you. You need to get me my Funyuns. And I was like, all right. Right, you're Larry Allen. It might be the only and one and only time I was afraid of somebody that probably could do some damage to me. <laughs> All right. Speaking of food, let's talk about some cooking here. All right. After football, mm-hmm. you go on to become a certified pit master for Sonny's in Gainesville, following your passion mm-hmm. for barbecue that you got from watching your grandfather. Can you tell us that story of how you fell in love with it? Yeah, sure. My my grandfather. So when I was younger, you know, ten years when I was, as far as I can remember, my mom and my my dad, we would go over my um, grandmother's house for like any reunion or birthday party or any gathering. They lived over in uh, West Tampa. And, um, you know, they live right across these train tracks and actually right almost right near the train tracks. You could hear the trains go by at night and stuff if you stayed over there. And I just remember going out in his backyard. There was a bunch of rocks and stuff, but he had like this this big old black um, offset barrel smoker. It was just it was out there all the time. And I never really was interested in it until I saw him cooking on it one day. I just I thought it was just like a piece of junk back there or just something. But I remember the very first day that I well, and, and that I can remember that he had cooked ribs and my grandmother would prep up the ribs for him. Like she would clean them and she would like kind of uh, she would brine them and stuff. And then he'd take them out back. And if I didn't follow him, he just they, they'd come back in. They were already cooked. I'm like, man, he must have took them to a friend or something because they put them in their oven or something like that, because I don't know where he came from with this. Uh, he would go out there and fire up this big old black barrel smoke. And I remember seeing it one day and, you know, they had a porch that led to the outside area. And I would stand and sometimes it would be like it would be like 100 degrees out there. This Florida weather was it, he would always do it in the summertime. And I remember all the other kids would be in the house and they would be playing and they'd be, you know, playing, you know, whatever, playing out front, playing with water guns. I'd be back there with him because I was just so interested in how like this charcoal and this wood could create like like barbecue, how I could, how I could heat stuff up. And how it could taste so good too, because my grandfather is just really good at cooking ribs. It was he wasn't one of those guys that would use lighter fluid because you could always taste lighter lighter fluid tastes awful, right? And in hindsight, I know my dad used to use lighter fluid. I was like, man, that was such a bad idea. But but my grandfather would he would use a chim- he would use a chimney and to heat up his coals and then pour the coals down and put wood on top. 
And I would watch this process. I'd be like, man, this is so cool. But the, what was even cooler was watching the ribs go on and then watching him baste them with a mop and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know, over time, I was just like, man, this is I would love to do this one day. I was like, heck, heck I would love to do a profession. I would love to do it for a job. He was like, man, my grandfather was like, man, nobody's doing this for a job nowadays. I was like, you'll see that somebody's going to do this for a job. <laughs> and I go back to that conversation I had with him. And we had this conversation maybe a couple Christmases ago. My grandfather was like, you remember that conversation we had when we talked about you wouldn't be cooking, you wouldn't be doing anything with cooking? He's like, funny how, how funny how that how, how things work out, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. So that was that was my initial love for it because that's that's I would be back there helping him cook. I would take pride in the fact of people saying the ribs were good, and he'd be like, oh, my grandson helped me. That would be me. I was just like, man, that's just. So over the course of years, I continue to dabble in that. I continue to do barbecue. I continue to cook and expand my culinary uh, expertise, if you will. And sure enough, Sonny's Barbecue came up and, I, and I, came, uh, I came running. So how'd you get involved with Sonny's? And I think that, that location's the original, right? So the location on Waldo Road in Gainesville is the original location. Yes. It was built in 1968. Yeah, it was built in 1968. And so as I was getting out of the, um, out of the NFL, I was like, you know, I'd hurt my shoulder. And um, I was cut from the Cowboys and my agent calls and says, hey, look, you know, Buffalo, Buffalo wants to sign you. And I said, you know, I'm just I don't know if I'm feeling anymore like the money's good. And I I like I I love my teammates and most of my coaches were were great. I mean, you were able to learn stuff. But I said, you know, I was with the Cowboys. We were playing on Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving Day. And, you know, right after the season ends, you're hit you're hitting OTAs and you're doing a bunch of stuff. I said, I just. I think I'm out of the football phase. I don't think I want this to define me. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, I, 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 lo- I like football. I just don't know if I was so passionate about it at that point in time. So I said, well, if I'm not, I'm just going to, you know, I got to find something to do. Like this money's not going to last forever. I, I just got to find something to do. So after, um, you know, I traveled for a little bit. And after, after maybe a year or so, um, I got to meet – so I met this guy. His name is Sonny Tillman, who used to own Sonny. I mean, he's the founder of Sonny's Barbecue. Sonny's, Sonny's a big Florida Gator booster. Loves his Florida Gators. And I remember meeting Sonny at a, um, at a booster event. And Sonny said, you know, Shannon, he's like, when you're done with football, you know, this is, this is probably when I was a sophomore. This was like right before my sophomore season. He's like, when you're done with football, man, you need to come join my brand. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a 14, 15-year career in the NFL and – you know, I'm going to ride off into the sunset and yada, yada, yada. Not realizing just a couple years later, I, <laughs> we ended up having another conversation yeah. about me joining his brand. And sure enough, uh, he put me in contact with the right people. Um, Sonny's franchise, which they're big Florida Gator boosters. They knew who I was. So it wasn't even more than a day before they were like, yeah, you're, you can join us. We're, we'd be more than honored. And that's how I got started with Sonny's Barbecue. Very cool. So not only do you cook for fun, uh, which clearly you enjoy very much, but also you enjoy helping people. Um, we understand that you donate meals on holidays, totaling as many as like 125 meals last holiday season. How did you get into that? And by the way, that is really great. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I just, my dad passed away in uh, 2021. Oh, sorry for your loss. And he, I appreciate that. Um you know, my dad, one thing I, I realized, and this is, you know, post in passing away, was that how many people he he loved, he helped, he just, uh, he just, I mean, they spoke nothing but great words about him. But going back to the pandemic in, in 2020, um, it just, it was a really rough time for everybody. It was just doom and gloom. Nobody knew what, what the landscape what was going to happen, not only with, you know, in America and, you know, just, you know, with our health and everything, but also with, you know, restaurants and with, you know, the way we live, it's just, it sure. was tough. And, you know, yeah. for me, it was just like, you know, I was working and I would, I would do stuff and I would go out and the roads would be empty and people would be in their house. And really all you had was social media. And every day I would see something of a doom and gloom and somebody in the hospital or something going on. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of seeing this. Like, you know, one of my favorite movies was, was called pay it forward. Right. It had a, uh, uh, it had Rene Russo. It had um, Kevin Spacey, one of my favorite actors. And it was about this little boy that pretty much did something. He wanted to change the world. Right. He wanted to do something to he just wanted a, a random act of kindness to change his city, to change the world. He wanted people to pay it forward. And that's kind of where 
I got the idea from. I said, you know, look, there's people sitting at home that don't have that don't have food. I was like, I wish I could give everybody, you know, one hundred thousand dollars so that, you know, they don't have to worry about their bills for the next year. But I do have access to food. I do have um, ways to get food out to people where they don't have to pay for it. They don't have to do that kind of stuff. And I'm just really trying to spread some cheer. Like we're, we're coming up on a we're, at that point in time, we were in June or July. You know, I could I could only imagine I was thinking in my head that this was going to last throughout the holiday season where, you know, sometimes um, suicide rates are, the, are, are at the highest because people don't have people. So I can only imagine if you have to sit at home or if you don't have a home, what are you going to do? So I said, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to start just going out, being safe and just taking meals to people, taking meals to people in need. I said, I, this is not this is not for publicity. This wasn't for. Um, just, you know, a gold star on my wall. This was just because I was, I just wanted to start, I wanted to start changing things. I wanted to start changing how people felt about how, where the world was going. And it just continued over time. It just, it never really stopped after we were done with the pandemic, you know, after my dad passing away and just me getting another, um, just how people felt about him. I decided to say, Hey, I'm going to extend this stuff into the holiday season. Um, and I'm going to make it kind of a yearly thing because I, I, I don't want to see people suffer. I don't want to see people down. I was like, if, if I'm if I have a platform and I'm here on Earth and I have the ability to do it and God just given God's given me the ability to do stuff and I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And that's kind of where that stemmed from. I just it just kind of took on a life of its own. It took on legs of its own. And, you know, the community, everybody wants to be a part of something cool. Everybody wants to be a part of something encouraging. And that was probably the most uh, apparent thing that I've ever seen that somebody that people have said, hey, I just I just want to be a part of a great cause. I can't leave my house because I have asthma or whatever it is. But can I donate to your cause? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I would share pictures with them and share pictures of them with, you know, like homeless people or, you know, people that were down on their luck or, you know, that were in, um, you know, that were living in rough conditions. So it just it, for me, that was sometimes that, that kind of stuff is. Uh, more rewarding than than anything else you could do. Any football sure. award, any any uh, any ring. Um, that that's the most rewarding stuff that you can leave and you can leave a legacy with. Good for you, man. We need more Shannon Snells in this world. I appreciate it, brother. That's right. Um, you teaching your kids how to cook yet? You know, I <laughs> they are so interested. They're more the taste testers. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> they love yeah yeah they love, listen they they love the testing and we we talk about this often. It's like it's like when they go into a restaurant and it's not good. It's not to the quality of what I do at home. They were like, they were like, we feel like food snobs. I was like, it's okay to feel like that. It's okay. It's actually a compliment to me, but like you guys got to sometimes give people a break because it's not always going to be the same quality of something I put like five or six hours into. So among us three, Andy's probably the best cook. So what's your advice to him or, or anyone listening to this podcast on cooking a delicious rib? Okay, so ribs are probably the where you should start um, because it's a meat that doesn't take as much time as such, something such as a pork butt or or brisket. Those take up to about ten or twelve hours. Um, but start with ribs um, and, and start with St. Louis ribs. Those are the ribs that come from the belly of the pig. Uh, the baby backs come from the spine, so you'll notice the the belly has a little bit more fat. The St. Louis ribs or the spare ribs will have more fat on them. Um, start low. I, I would suggest you start low and slow. A lot of times people say, I'm going to crank it up to 350 degrees and try to cook them. You don't want to treat a smoker when you're smoking something. You don't want to treat it like an oven. Uh, barbecue's meant to go a little bit slower, and it gives you a bigger window to be wrong. <laughs> so, And that's what it is. A lot of times people don't think um, think uh, you know low and slow. They just call it that for a reason. The low and slow is to say, to say, hey, you can get up to the proper temperature over a longer period of time, and it gives you the, a bigger window to get that temperature just right. As you get more advanced with ribs, you can go a little bit hotter, a little bit faster. You can get them done a little bit quicker. And, and, and when it comes to ribs, do something that appeals to all audiences. Don't do something. Stay away from like pineapple habanero ribs or stay away from <laughs> stuff that's going to be really weird. That's going to that that one person sitting at your table might enjoy and everybody else is going to hate you for. I'm a brisket guy myself. But what's your favorite barbecue meal? I'm a brisket guy. I'm a, I'm a pure Texas uh, style brisket kind of guy. I am. I believe in salt, pepper, garlic, and some some beef tallow wrapped in butcher paper, and making it when it's done, it's done. You are making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing better than that. So Shannon, I mean, you're 
popular online social media. You've done a lot of podcasts. You've done, I believe, some reporting for some some Gators websites. And so, if you want to hear more from Shannon Snell, just Google them, and and uh, there's a lot of Shannon Snell out there. So, talk about hashtag relationship ribs. <laughs> well, well, this is funny because it that kind of took on a life by itself as well. I, there was a there was an event this when Dan Mullen was here as a coach. It was back in 2018. They were looking for some cool event that they could do. It's the Gators need to create some sort of buzz, you know, with, um, you know, Jim McElwain just leaving town. And it wasn't really all it wasn't <laughs> roses and daisies at that point. So I get a call from, you know, I'm get a call from Lee Davis, who's, you know, Dan's right hand woman. And she's like, Shannon, I hear you do good work. We need to create a barbecue that's going to be like just off the chain. It's got to be off the page. And I said, <laughs> OK, are you looking at. Are we looking at rocking New Year's Eve off the page? Or are we looking at like just back your backyard barbecue off the page? She's like, we're looking at something beyond that. I said, okay. So we put on like this this uh, this uh, Gator Grill out. It was the very first Gator Grill out that happened, um, and this was like a this smokers route. There was like two smokers out there. There was like oh, there was they had big screen TVs. They had all sorts of cool stuff out there, um, and they had. I think along that they had like 250 commi- uh, 250 recruits out there that weekend, and so I had to put on my Sunday's best. I had to put on the very best ribs I could create. I just everything. I they had to nice. Yeah, I had to go. I had to go above and beyond. I'm talking about like the 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 prime ribs and all sorts of that stuff. And during the event, I guess after the event, I knew it had went over well, but I didn't realize how well because they started as some of the reporters started asking some of the uh, recruits. He's like, what was the best thing about the uh, this this whole grill out? They said the ribs. <laughs> they were like, some of them were saying those ribs were good enough to slap your mama. So I didn't realize this <laughs> until after. So some of the guys had, you know, there was a couple of the guys on off that at, at that grill out had committed at the grill out, and they were referencing the ribs in there, and it was just they they basically called them. So one guy had called them relationship ribs. Those those ribs are creating some great relationships. I was like. That is a great sound. It just created a hashtag, and then it just blew up. It really blew up really quick. <laughs> All right, Shannon. So we always end the show with a bit, and we're going to do a Mount Rushmore of Florida Gator offensive linemen. So okay. Shannon Snell, All-American, give us, and you could take a minute if you need it, okay. your four that are going to go up on the Mount Rushmore of Florida Gators offensive linemen. Oh, okay. Lomas Brown has to be up there. Yes. There you go. That, that's got to be first and foremost. Um, Lomas Brown, I got to say, you know, you got to, you got to probably put, um, yeah, you probably, you probably got to put both the pounties up there. Okay. Yeah. They had such great careers and they really changed the course of Florida football. Um, right. Sure. I, it, it's hard not to put them up there. Um, that four spot, it's just so. <laughs> you are allowed to nominate yourself, just saying. I, I, you, I are, can't, you are deserving. That's tough, huh? See, I can't be up there. I, I yeah, would have to can. say, um, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, so I can't put, so, I mean, and so the requirements obviously have to be, um, they have to be like first team All Americans. They have to be, you know, they had to have, you know, something that was really not- notable and newsworthy. Um, so let's say both pounces. Um, you can go, you can go Shannon Snell. You can do it. You know, let's, let's, <laughs> no, let's, 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 let's put, um, let's, let's put Mike Pearson up there. Good choice. Yeah. Let's put Mike Pearson up there. He was, he was first team all of Mike had a fantastic Gator career. So. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's go with that. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm Lomas Brown, Mike, Mike Pearson. It's a hell of a line. Pounces. <laughs> all right. That's an awesome Heck of a Mount Rushmore yeah. offensive lineman from the Florida Gators for Shannon Snell. Uh, Shannon, it's been absolutely honored to have you on. A true Gator great, All-American, SEC champion, pit master. If it feels like a zipper, it's not done yet, right, Shannon? <laughs> That's right. If it's a zipper, you need to put it back on. <laughs> you got to get those fibers to melt, man. You know exactly what you're talking about because most people are like, what is that supposed <laughs> to mean? That's exactly right. I've done my research, my man. You have. 
Shannon, thank you for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor for uh, to have you on with us. John, Andy, Sid, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thanks so much. Man, he was a good guy. We say that every time. Yeah, that was a great conversation. And on top of some great football stories, I'm really, really hungry now, too. So <laughs> he hit my heart and my belly. <laughs> I learned something about ribs, too. I've always been, you know, I always thought baby back was the way to go. But he says it's, it's the St. Louis. So. Did I surprise you with what I knew? You did. At the end there? Yeah. You always surprise me with what you know, John. <laughs> Are you saying I don't look as smart as I am? Is that what you're saying? Well, you That's what there. you said. I didn't say anything oh. like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I saw a video he did. <laughs> oh. That's how I knew. But you did research, so there you go. Quality show research, paying yeah. off. Absolutely. Well done. Crack stuff. High pay- highly paid. <laughs> I get a bonus for that. You're saying? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, uh, we're gonna you give you one uh, for sure. We're gonna give you a fifty percent bonus. <laughs> what did Clark Griswold get for a bonus? Jelly of the Month Club. Yes, he did. <laughs> one year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. It's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. It's time for our two bits. That it is, Edward. That it is. <laughs> All right, uh, Andy, you want to go first? Sure, I will go first. I uh, I was gonna go with the Zook, but I uh, I think I'm gonna go with um, Spurrier, saying the 2001 team was his best team ever. Obviously, Shannon agreed with that, um, but also the insight that he gave that that was kind of part of the, his decision to try the pros, and because he had built such a ridiculous team and didn't think he could do any better than that you know, in college. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I'm going to go with that one. All right. And once again, our two bits are our takeaways of the show. Um, I'll go next because we leave Sid for last. Uh, he's kind of long-winded. He covers a lot, first in, first in our hearts, but last in our order. <laughs> I understand. It's okay. Hey, it's the head ball coach's birthday, so I'm going to dedicate my two bits to, uh, to Spurrier as well. When Shannon said that uh, when they announced he was leaving and they drove up there in the training room, and Spurrier came in in his suit, <laughs> and all he said to the team was, you're going to be all right. And then he turned and went and did his pressers. That's that's amazing. That That's all he said to yeah. his team. Yeah, um, That shocked me. I mean, Shannon had a ton of great stories and perspectives on a lot of things in this episode. But if something surprised me, that was it. Hmm. Unfortunately, he was wrong. We weren't all right without him. I still miss him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My takeaway, I particularly enjoyed, I know this is a tale of Gator greats, but I particularly enjoyed that Larry Allen Cowboys story yep. uh, about, oh, about, yeah, him yep. being, about him being the Rook, having to have the Funyuns, and um, and just somebody that we know to be as large, massive, and powerful as, as Shannon to describe Larry Allen in, in a relative perspective way. That, that just gives some insight that the biggest men in the world think that Larry Allen is the biggest man in the world. That's pretty telling. Coke machine with arms. That, that's an excellent <laughs> description. <laughs> All right, guys, next week we're going to have our NFL Draft Round 1 watch-along with return guest Redell Anthony, so you don't want to miss that for next week. Gentlemen, once again, it's been a pleasure, and go Gators. Thank you. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators.